I think most of us consider ourselves rational creatures, where we make decisions based on logic. We, we have clear reasons for all of the things that we do, or so we like to tell ourselves. There was a, a study, a national survey that was done of secular student alliances across the country. They're basically the, the atheistic equivalent of uh, Christian, Christian campus groups. And the goal was to understand, how did you get here? How did, how did these students end up uh, united in their belief that God doesn't exist and life is better without him uh, on the scene and involved in uh, their day-to-day? As they conducted the interviews, what they found was that at the outset, uh, the students would list some, some problems that they had with uh, the Christian faith, for instance, or other uh, religions. But then as they asked more probing questions, what they found was inevitably beneath the tough-sounding arguments and, and uh, reasons for their uh, positions about God, there were stories of disappointment, of uh, hurt, of regret that had profoundly shaped their understanding of this world and had impacted how they had felt about God or uh, had come to believe that there probably isn't a God. We could say that maybe that's just a, a student thing but I don't think it is. We could say maybe this is just a modern thing. I don't think that's the case either. I think that throughout history, we have uh, at every age have our circumstances in front of us and we make certain conclusions about who God is and where we stand with him. And if our circumstances are confusing enough and painful enough, we might draw the conclusion, surely there's no, there is no God. And if there is a God, he can't be very good. Today's passage deals with that kind of situation. If you are finding yourself with circumstances you don't understand, with things in your life that make you question who God is and where you stand with him, or even if he exists at all, This is a passage that I think is worth not only coming to terms with this morning, but returning to again and again throughout your life. It's a passage that for me uh, tells us what to do when our here and now makes us doubt our ever after. When our circumstances in front of us make us question, who is this God? Does he exist? And where do I stand with him? Uh, we've been in a series called Walk into Blessing where we have been looking at the life of Abraham. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to read along with me. I'm, we're in Genesis chapter 15 today, and I'm going I'm to read the whole thing. We're, we're uh, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 21, and uh, if uh, you have your Bibles, follow along. Genesis 15, 1 to 21. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of God. Am I the only one who thinks this is a very strange passage of Scripture? Like if you, you've, we've got vultures and animal carcasses spewing on the ground, uh, there is a floating pots and flaming torches, like, and that's not even mentioned all those names that we can't pronounce. Like, this is a very strange passage of Scripture. It's also what I believe to be the most important chapter of Scripture in all of the book of Genesis, and it's definitely my favorite. But we need to get through the strangeness to, uh, to get unearth what, what God is saying and how uh, we can come to, to terms with it. But again, if you're facing circumstances this morning and you're thinking, I don't know what is going on in my life and what it tells me about God or me or where I stand with him, this is a passage for you. There are things that God invites us to do when our here and now makes us doubt or ever after. And the first is to glory in God's ability. The doubts that arise when we become fixated on our circumstances and cause us doubts uh, there are, we, we are to look from them to God and what he is able to do in order to make sense of our lives. We're called to glory in God's ability. Now, the, the chapter opens up where we left off last time. 
Uh, so to bring you up to speed, Abram has been in a battle. He has come out of that battle, and he has been victorious. And having, having come through that, he's offered a reward by a king with, with a bit of a reputation. Not a guy that you could necessarily trust, but hey, he's offering him a reward. Abraham turns down the reward and says, this is going to come with strings attached. I'm not going to go there. And he walks away from the battle uh, empty-handed, essentially. Now we come, and, and in uh, verse 1, God offers him a great reward. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. They're encouraging words. They're the kind of words that you'd like to hear. Hey, don't need to be afraid. You're going to be rewarded. Things are going to go well. They're encouraging words, but they, he has about as much problem with those words as you often do when you hear things in the Bible. When you hear the promises of God in the Bible, you think, that's, that's a nice thing to say. That's an encouraging thing to say. But I'm looking at what I'm dealing with in my life, and it really doesn't change my circumstances. And I don't know how to, how to listen to that, how to, what to do with that. When Abraham heard this, he must have thought, what kind of reward could God give me at this point? He's... He's a senior citizen. He's, he's at, at a point in his life where he's looking to downsize. So, like, what can you give to, to a man like this? He's, he's at an age where most people will be talking about their children and their grandchildren. But Abraham doesn't have any. So, what kind of reward could God give him? And Abraham's feeling all that, and he complains to God. In verse 3, he says, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my, my household will be my heir. More than a decade has passed now since God called Abraham out of, out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He, when he first appeared to him, God had made this amazing promise to, to make him into a great nation and to provide offspring for him. And at first, it seemed like too good to be true. His they had never been able to have children. They'd always struggled. And now they were too old anyway to that even to be a, a possibility. But when God made the promise, he thought, maybe it's true. Maybe I can trust what God has said. And he innocently believed. But now 10 years has passed, and he's no closer to having a child than he was at when God first made the promise to him. And... Those doubts could only help but uh, settle in. And he's got to come to terms with that. Now the promises seem a little hollow. He, he's no closer to having a child than he was 10 years ago. They're still, they're still just promises. They're, they're just words. In verse 4, hearing Abraham's complaint, God reiterates the promise. He tells him the promise again, and he says it to him. And Abraham hears it, and you must think, it'd be great to hear, but is it really going to make a difference in his life? Doesn't make it any easier to believe. And maybe when you hear the Bible, it may have the same effect in your own life. You may hear the words and say, 
they're nice words, they just don't seem to be true in my life. They just don't seem to reflect my circumstances. And so at the end of the day, you're left wondering, what do I do with those words? What do they mean? It's hard to hear God's promises when you're, you're battling with chronic pain or you're still looking for work or you're, you're struggling with a relationship and you're just thinking, God, I've prayed to you about these things and, and they don't seem to be changing. What, what, is, what does another promise really do for me? At this point, we're hoping that God will give an explanation. We're hoping that God will lay out the plan, explain what he's doing, kind of make, make things uh, uh, clear, lay out a timetable. And instead, what God does is take Abraham and lead him out of his tent and tell him to look up at the sky. He has him count the stars. Verse 5 says, He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, Abraham does look at the stars, and he probably does start to count them. But before long, he realizes, I'm not going to be able to count them. Now, if you were in the desert in the ancient world, you're going to see a lot more stars than you see in our sky here in Richmond Hill. You're going to have clear skies you are going to see the fullness uh, of God's creation at least as much as the naked eye could see. Abraham can't count the stars, and he, he, but as he begins to, he begins to wonder at the magnitude of this God who has created far beyond anything he's able to, uh, to either count or imagine. As he looks at the stars, he wonders and asks questions. He, he had previously been looking at his little circumstances and, and been caught up because he, he couldn't figure them out and he couldn't, he couldn't deal with them and he couldn't understand them. But as he looks up at the stars, he recognizes, God's asked me to count the stars. I, I can't count them. And I have no idea how he made them. And I have no idea how, what, what kind of a God could create all this? Who could make all of these things? And he's filled with a wonder and an awe at who God is and how small he is in comparison to him. Minutes before, Abraham had been paralyzed by thoughts of his own ability and how he didn't understand what was going on. But as he looked up at the stars, he realized, compared to God, I am completely powerless. He, he is able to do things so far above my, me and my ability that there is no comparison. And as I look at all of his creation, I re- recognize it's not just this circumstance that is, I'm faced with that I'm dealing with right in front of me. There's so little that I understand of this world and his creation. And it stirs within him a sense of awe and wonder at who God is and a recognition of the limit, limits and limitations of who he is and what he understands. He's energized by that, energized by the might and the majesty of God. He recognizes that a God who can fling stars into space does not have 
those limitations. There is no can't in his vocabulary. And it moves him and it begins to stir him. I think that impossible circumstances like Abraham faced, they do something to us. When we face difficult, impossible, hard to understand circumstances, they they throw us off of our game and they make us doubt what we believe. I see things I can't change. I, I see my limitations. I see my weaknesses. I I, I have fears as I look at situations and I think, I, I don't have what it takes to deal with that. I, I don't have the strength to overcome that. And when I feel like that, I, I just want God to give me a plan that seems doable. Like, spell it out in such a way that I know that I can handle it and, and I know what the process is and how I can go through it. And... God doesn't often give me that. Instead, God has me look to the stars or look to his word, and he reminds me how great he is, how big he is, how vast he is, and how little of him and his world that I can truly and fully understand. Often, those are the, those are the only answers that I get. And those are the only answers that ultimately we need. We need to be reminded of who God is and how glorious he is. And as we revel in who he is, then we can begin to rest in the circumstances that we find ourselves. We become content with things that we don't understand and things that we can't accomplish because we know that there is one who understands. We know that there is one who is always able. That can happen, but I use the word can because it's not automatic. Some people will go and they'll, they'll look at the stars and they might be awed by their number, but it doesn't bring any comfort. And some people will recognize God's ability, but it doesn't translate into rest or peace. That's why the second invitation of this passage is so important. Because when circumstances make us doubt, we're called to glory in God's ability, but also to trust in his grace. Because you can look at the vastness of the universe and and it can stir awe in you, but what if the stars are against you? What if this God who flings stars into space is unpredictable and dangerous and evil? What if, what if you're on the wrong side? What if that God is against you? God's encounter with Abraham, though, invites us to trust in his grace. In verse 5, we left Abraham outside his tent. He's counting the stars. He's looking up at the sky. He's wondering at this God who had made them all. But a part of us wonders how he'll take all of this. He's had 10 years of wandering. He's gone through a kidnapping, a war, he's faced a famine, and he has almost nothing to show for it. He doesn't own an inch of the promised land yet. And as we've said, he's no closer to having a child than he was 10 years ago. Is the nighttime sky and a word from the Lord really going to change anything? 
forget the nighttime sky and the word from the Lord. Is some guy teaching a message from God's word really going to change your life this morning? Do words matter? Does the word of God matter? Verse 6 supplies the answer, at least in Abraham's case. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he, referring to God, counted it to him as righteousness. It's the first time in the Bible that the word believe is used, and it will become the defining verb of the entire uh, scriptures. Here we learn what it means to believe in God's, in, in God's vocabulary. Here we learn through a man named Abraham what it means to trust God, to believe in him, and what it doesn't mean. Because our, the word that we use, because we, we talk about believing a lot. Our definition of believing is, is wide enough you could drive a truck through it. But we'll see that believing in the scriptures is very clear and it is very specific. Believing for Abraham wasn't just an emotional moment when he prayed a prayer. Believing wasn't just intellectually saying, yes, I, I believe these things. He wasn't just checking the boxes on uh, a list of creeds. Believing wasn't just a lifestyle marked by various religious customs. Oh yeah, I'm, I believe. Yeah, I, that, that's not what we see in Abraham here. Believing for Abraham was a settled trust in a powerful, unpredictable, promise-giving God. Believing was a settled trust in a powerful, unpredictable, promise-giving God. Abraham believed the Lord. He didn't just believe in himself. He didn't just believe in some vague higher force. For Abraham, believing the Lord, specific, this, this God who has called me, meant, in his case, leaving the gods of his ancestors. Abraham was a religious guy, and he came from a religious place. And God appeared to him, came to him, and called him out of that and said, I'm leading you in truth. You have had some religious ideas and concepts in your mind. I recognize that you have been sincere in, in many ways, but I'm calling you to now believe in the truth. He said, I'm calling you to respond to me as your creator. And Abraham believed. He put his trust in the creator of heaven, heaven and earth. Believing for Abraham meant not having all the answers, but trusting in the God who held those answers. Believing for Abraham was not seeing a plan, having it all spelled out and said, yeah, I think I can do that. And on that basis, choosing to follow. No, it was saying, I can't do it. I don't know everything that there is to know about this God or the world that he has created, but I know that I can trust him. I will put my life in his hands. That's what Abraham did. And that becomes the defining mark of believing in the scriptures. And, and, and it begs the question, do you believe the Lord the way Abraham did? Have you put your trust in him and him alone? Not because you got it all figured out, not because you think you're good enough, smart enough, ready enough, or, or have just figured out all the plan. But because you recognize this is the voice of God speaking and he invites you to follow. 
Abraham had a faith that was willing to do that. It had a faith that didn't just, it, it started in his heart. It started with a decision of his will, but he, his, his faith had legs and was willing to travel. He, his faith was willing to stuff his questions if he knew that God's glory and God's word had spoken. That was enough for him. He recognized that God was worth trusting. I'll never forget the first time I took my daughter Brooke swimming. She was probably two or three, three years old at the time, and as she approached the water, she was excited but terrified. Her, her fear was well-founded because she couldn't swim, and so without help, she was going to drown and die. And you could see that in her face, that re- re- realization, this is too big for me. I, 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 am, I am utterly terrified of this. As I came over to the side of the pool, though, she grabbed me with both of her hands, and that would, would have been fairly normal, but not just her hands, but then she wrapped her legs all around, full body hug, and gripped me probably as hard as I'd ever experienced for my, for my daughter, and, and probably uh, as I have ever experienced ever since. Her trust in her father overcame her fear of water unknown that was too big and too powerful for her. That's what I see in Abraham's faith. That's what it means to believe the Lord, to trust in him. But we still don't know how, how does God respond to that? What, is, what does that mean to God? That's, that's, that is the defining mark of believing in the scriptures. But how does God respond to that believing? Verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The word righteousness just means right standing with God. It, it means that you have standing before him that he, he recognizes you. He accepts you. He counts you as righteous. And the fact that God counted his faith as righteousness implies that Abraham wasn't righteous on his own. He wasn't righteous because he had done certain good things to earn a standing of righteousness before God. Abraham was a good guy, right? He was a decent person. He was kind of religious. He he did some decent things. He was kind of like you, kind of like me, pretty decent guy. But as God saw him and compared him to his perfect standard of righteousness, he said, he's not righteous. He does not have a right standing with me on the basis of his performance, on the basis of his goodness. But he saw his faith and he said, that faith that's willing to trust me instead of trusting himself, that faith I will count as righteous. On the basis of that faith, I will treat him as if he is righteous. Because of his faith, God considered him righteous when he wasn't righteous. And at that point, something in our hearts wants to protest and say, that's not how the things are done. Like, that's not how life works. I do my chores and I get an allowance. I study and I get a passing grade. I go to work and I get a paycheck. That's the way that life works. And we assume God must work on the same basis. 
And yet here, he takes people who are not righteous and purely on the basis of their faith, he counts them as righteous. He treats them as righteous. And all that he asks is for us to trust him. How can that be? When God reiterates his promise to him in verse 7, Abraham is as confused as we are. He says, how am I to know? Like, how does that work? Like, how, how can I be sure that that's, that's the way things work? Because it doesn't, I don't know anybody else who operates on that kind of program. God answers with another object lesson, and this is a really strange one. But it's, it's, it's amazing. He does so, this time, not with pointing him to the sky, but to this covenant ritual that Abraham would have been really familiar with, but you and I look at and say, boy, that's, that's awfully odd. In verse 9 and 10, he cuts five animals in half, lays them symmetrically along the ground. At this point, Abraham can see what's coming. This is how you often would sign a deal, finalize an agreement, bring a contract into force. This is what you would do. You would lay out the animals. Two people would make commitments to one another. And then what they would do is they would walk in between these animal carcasses that had been butchered and laid on the ground. And the idea was, if I do not keep my part of the bargain, so shall it be to me. It's like cross your heart and hope to die with knives and blood. Like, it is a gruesome way to make a commitment, but it's a way that you made a commitment when everything was at stake and you wanted to show that you were deadly serious and, yeah, Take my life. This is, I, I am totally committed to this. The shocker comes in verse 17 where it says, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these two pieces. If you know your Bibles, you would think, Boy, this sounds an awful lot like that pillar of cloud and fire that led, went before the Israelites and guided them in the wilderness. It, it seems to, to, to point to God, but... but Abraham, as he's looking at this, he's probably not quite so, you know, academic and, and, and uh, reflective. He's just looking at this miracle before him, this floating pot going in front of him and a torch and thinking, I don't know what's going on here, but this is God. Like, this is, this is, this is amazing. This is a miracle. And I picture Abraham seeing all this, picturing it, standing there and thinking, okay, it's my turn now. I'm, this is the part where I walk in between the animals and all of a sudden, the ceremony just ends. God's paid all the price. God's taken all of the, all of the obligations of the covenant on himself. Abraham hasn't been asked to split the check. A- Abraham hasn't, Born the costs of the relationship. God says, those are all on me. God says, I, I take the penalties. I bear the brunt of the punishment. I take all of this relationship on myself. All I ask is that you trust me. All I ask is that you believe and put your life in my hands. So we've seen God urge us to count the stars, to glory in his ability. We've seen God vow to pay the price and invite us to trust in his grace. 
He doesn't ask us to split the bill. He invites us into a relationship where he bears the brunt of it. We still wonder about our circumstances. Why doesn't God answer all our questions? And in this short passage that remains, he gets there. He answers some of our questions. And in doing so, he gives us a hint why he doesn't answer more of our questions. He gives us a window into the way that he works, and he encourages us to rest in his plan. Now, when we looked at this unusual covenant ceremony that God made with Abraham, there were a couple of details that we didn't touch on, but they're actually quite important. If you look at verse 11, Abraham's just cut the animals and laid them out on the ground, and some vultures start to fly in. And it's a kind of a strange detail to include in the, in the story. And you're thinking, if God can make a smoking pot fly through this, through this sky, if he can make a flaming torch pass between some animals, surely he could have uh, kept the, the vultures away from the, the ceremony. But he doesn't. You'd think God could have kind of protected them against that, and yet... We see Abraham having to be swatting away these birds to protect the sacrifice. What's going on there? It, it feels, feels like a bad omen. It, see, it feels like there is uh, something to be, to be worried about here. But it shows us that God carries out his plan and carries out our, his relationship with us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of opposition, attack, and Battle. There, there is a, a spiritual battle raging in the world, and it's not that God is overcome by it, but God will carry out his purposes in the midst of it. Almost none of us have that on the radar when we're trying to make sense of our circumstances. None of us are thinking, oh, I wonder, maybe there could be, maybe there's like evil at, at, at work in the world, and, and maybe there's something going on spiritually that I, I'm just not aware of. We're not asking those kinds of questions. And through the, the vultures here, God gives Abraham a hint of that. The scene gets even more sinister in verse 12. There the sun goes down, and as Abraham drifts off to sleep, it says dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It's another warning. God carries out his promises, but he does so in the midst of darkness, in the midst of difficulty and battle and strife, spiritual forces that often we're unaware of. And, and that complicates how we see our circumstances. It complicates how we see our world. And if you're trying to just figure out who God is and where you stand with him on the basis of what you see in front of you, you, you just see a tiny sliver of what's actually going on. But he gives us a hint that this is a reality. The world's at war and so we need to trust God. We need to rest in his plan. Now, have, every, have any of you ever said to God, God, I think I can handle whatever is coming before me if you would just spell out what your plan is. Anybody ever said that to God? Like, I'm, I'm, I can handle it. Just make it clear to me what you're doing. I just hate the unknown. Hate not knowing. Anybody ever asked that? 
I've asked that question. I've asked that question too many times. And Abraham got an answer to that question. And at the end of today's service, you may want to thank God for not answering your question. Because he will lay out him an answer, and, and the reality is, I don't think Abraham was ready for it. And I don't think you or I would be ready for the answer to, just tell me exactly what's going on here, God, and what's to come. Like, you do not want to know the answer to that question. In verses 13 to 16, God gives Abraham what we often wish God would give us. He gives him the plan. He explains what he's going to do. And I'm sure Abraham never asked God again. At this point, Abraham's already feeling like, boy, God's promises are sure taking a long time to fulfill. I've been waiting 10 years already. Like he's had enough, right? Now in verse 13, he learns that his offspring can expect 400 years of affliction in a foreign land. Like that's just on it. God's got a 400-year plan, okay? Like, if my laptop takes more than a minute to boot up, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, I'm checking my watch. Breakfast in the morning, if I put the toast in, I'm thinking, boy, this is taking a long time to heat up. Maybe I should check my email. I'm I'm looking for my phone. Like, we are just so impatient, right? We, we're like our attention span, our sense of, of time and, and fulfill, like it's just like this long. And we learn here, like God just casually mentions to Abraham his 400-year plan. Like unless you, unless you are, are planning like on a, on a millennial scale, you couldn't possibly understand all of the details of what's God's doing in the circumstances of, 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 of Monday or like Sunday afternoon. He, he couldn't understand it. For someone who, who plans by hundreds of years at a time, it, it's not that his purposes don't, don't uh, make sense within, within that shorter time window. It just, unless you see the big picture, it's impossible to understand. And it reminds us again, we need to rest in, our, rest in his plan. We need to remind ourselves that he understands things at a level that is so far above us that, of course, some of the things that happen in the day-to-day aren't going to make sense. I think Abraham must have been speechless as soon as he said the word 400 years. It's like, whoa, I wasn't, I just asked him about like, like the next couple weeks. But it's not that the circumstances are without a purpose. In verse 16, we're told, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God had prepared a home for the Israelites, but the previous tenant's lease hadn't expired yet. And and here we're reminded, yeah, God's got a plan for your life. God is at work in the circumstances of all that's going on in your life, but he's also coordinating that plan with another 7.5 billion people on the planet. And unless you understand how all of those plans intersect with one another in God's vast and uh, huge plan, you're just not going to understand the details of his circumstances for you. And again, it's just another encouragement for us to rest in his plan. So we remember the stars. We glory in God's ability. We, we trust in God and his grace, and we rest in his plan. 
We remember the God who doesn't ask us to split the bill. He just asks us to trust him. We rest in the knowledge that there's a battle going on that we often don't see. We just see the effects of the battle. We rest in in a timetable that we don't understand. We recognize that God has purposes for our life, but also for another 7.5 billion people. And we recognize we need to rest in him. Now, the, the root of Abraham's struggle was the struggle to have a child. Where are you feeling powerless this morning? Where do you look at your circumstances and say, this is like, this is just beyond me. I, I don't have control over this. Where, where are those circumstances in your life? What shakes your confidence in the goodness of God? Maybe you need to get out of your tent and look at the stars tonight. Maybe you need to open up God's word, or maybe you need to make a habit of opening up God's word and reminding yourself of his greatness. Not just opening the the Bible to say, okay, I I read some more today, and I know a little bit more today than I did yesterday, and I want to find out all the stuff that I got to do. No, to open up God's word to remind yourself of how glorious this God is, how big he is, how wise he is, how much, how much far beyond us he is that we might rest in him, that we might trust in him. Maybe for some of you, your circumstances are confronting what it really means to believe. Maybe you thought you did believe, but faced with circumstances that are beyond you, too big for you, maybe you're recognizing, I don't think I really trust God. I kind of just, I just signed up for the part where I could I kind of understand it and do my thing. But this idea of putting my whole life in his hands and trusting him when I don't, I can't figure some of the parts out. Maybe you're thinking, that, that's not something I've really done. And God is inviting you to do that. He, he's inviting you to trust in him to give your life to him. Nobody's circumstances made less, than, made less sense than Jesus's. He was on the cross having been tortured, having been beaten, having been stripped, having been humiliated before a jeering and watching crowd. And nobody looking at that little slice of circumstances in his life say, oh, I understand. Oh, He must have a good God. And yet through that event, God was carrying out a plan that spanned hundreds and hundreds of years, a plan to accomplish the salvation of all who would believe, a plan to bring life and good news and hope and joy. And yet when you just look at the circumstance, it doesn't make any sense. Without the promise, without the revelation of God's word, you would have said, I think God's taking a break. And yet it was at that very moment when God was accomplishing the greatest good, the greatest salvation. God can be trusted. And he wants us to trust him with the circumstances before us 
but ultimately he wants us to trust him with our very lives. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have to admit that there is so much that we don't understand. There's so much that doesn't make sense. But we don't understand how you made the stars either. So help us to trust you. Waiting is hard, and patience doesn't come easily to us. So help us to count the time the way you do. Help us to remember that your plan is so much bigger than us. And thank you for your grace. We'll never fully grasp your willingness to pay all the price, to bear all the cost. But thank you for purchasing our salvation. We love you. We trust you. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.